Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Ever since Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court, the talk has been, when will the high court take up the issue of abortion? Now, in theory, the court should be conservative enough to reverse the terrible, and I mean terrible, Roe versus Wade ruling. One of the largest lasting effects, I believe, of having President Donald Trump in office was that he was able to appoint three conservative court justices to the court. Since then, though, we have seen Chief Justice John Roberts show just how cowardly he is in in the face of any kind of opposition. His inability to rule on the side of truth and justice, if if it would make someone mad at the Supreme Court, has been very disappointing. Because it looks like, just judging by you know, his recent comments and things like this, that he's more concerned about the image of the Supreme Court than he is the Supreme Court actually doing their job. And what is their job? Well, the Supreme Court's really main and one job is to make sure that legislation is legislation and policies that they're constitutional that if something is unconstitutional, that it is then thrown out and is ruled so. And if it is constitutional, then whatever case is brought against it or whatever is thrown out. That's their job. It's not a very difficult job. And yet, obviously, Chief Justice Roberts is more concerned about what the Supreme Court looks like to others and to society than to actually do what the Supreme Court is supposed to do. Now, the Daily Citizen reports that at the beginning of the uh, traditional first Monday in October, the court has already accepted a case of interest to Christians and pro-lifers everywhere. That's good news. It has to do with the constitutionality of Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. And you may have heard about this one. The Mississippi abortion case titled Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization tests the high court's abortion jurisprudence going back to Roe versus Wade. The 1973 Roe decision written by Justice Harry Blackman created artificial trimester rules. (laughs) It was kind of weird, right? For regulating abortion based on the concept of viability the time at which a preborn baby was generally thought to be able to survive is what it was it was based off and 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 survive with medical help outside the womb now during the first trimester of pregnancy the roe majority ruled that almost no restrictions could be placed on a woman's right to choose an abortion other than minimum medical safeguards such as requiring a you know, licensed physician to perform the, the procedure. You can't just have it in the back alley somewhere, right? By the second trimester, the court said that, the, that a state may impose regulations on abortion that are reasonably related to mental health, for instance. In, in the third trimester, 
where viability was considered to begin, a state could regulate abortions or prohibit them entirely, except where the life or health of the mother was at risk. Now, that's the Roe versus Wade decision. But advances in medical you know, technology have lowered the age of viability because viability is, is, is a bad way to look at the abortion issue. It, it, viability, it, it brings up all, there's all kinds of holes in, in the viability case. Um, by the time of the 1992 Supreme Court decision in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, for example, the, the age of viability had decreased from 28 weeks to around 23 or 24 weeks. Recently, a Wisconsin child celebrated his, his first birthday after a premature birth at 21 weeks, two days gestation. And he's alive today. So how can you say that you can abort something if it's not viable when viability is all over the place? It can even vary depending on where in the country you are located. So just not, just not a good argument. Roe versus Wade, terrible law. But even more important than simply asking the court to lower the, the Roe-Casey dates of viability, pro-life Americans hope that the high court could use the Dobbs case to re-examine and overturn those cases and in the process reject the underlying assumption that the U.S. Constitution guarantees the right to an abortion. Doing so will return the question of abortion to the legislative process in the states where various regulatory schemes would emerge from outright bans to no restrictions at all to everything in between, obviously. Or Congress could get involved, right, at the federal level, at some, as, as some politicians, of course, have, have actually even promised after looking uh, at, at what's coming down the, the trail here. Now, although if that turns out to be simply another way to impose Roe's rules on a, you know, on a national level, the current culture divisions over abortion won't, you know, go away anytime soon. And I don't, I don't really even see, you know, this issue going away, um, you know, very soon at all, to be honest with you. Now, here are a couple of numbers that you may need to be sitting down to comprehend, right? So, so if you're not sitting down right now or you're listening to the podcast, you might want to do so after listening to some of these numbers. In 2018, the U.S. alone accounted for 862,000, that's 862,320 abortions. Now, that's according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, with numbers supplemented by the uh, Guttmacher Institute, this the, in the same year, over 77,000 babies were aborted in the state of New York, while only 225 were born, meaning that babies conceived in New York have about a one in four chance of being aborted. Let me say that again. That in New York of babies conceived there in that state, they have about a one in four chance of being aborted. Now, sanctity of human life means that Christians are 
called to defend, protect, and value all human life. This includes preborn children. This includes elderly individuals. This includes those with special needs. Also includes other other marginalized in, in, by society. We're going to use the word marginalized here. We as Christians view preborn babies as humans made in the image of God and therefore having the same right to life as the rest of us. These babies are fearfully and wonderfully made by their Father in heaven. That's what the Bible says. But denying the reality of life inside the womb, pro-abortion advocates have been successful in reframing the issue of abortion into something less macabre. They do this by redefining personhood, villainizing pro-life voters, and denying pre-born babies' human rights. The only way that a pro-abortion voters can can justify aborting a, a pre-born baby is by denying the baby his his or her status as an individual life, right? A baby is often portrayed by some pro-abortion activists as an inconvenience that would prevent a woman from achieving all that she could in in life and and her career. I'll give you an an example. Uh, Actress Joan Collins had an abortion at 26 because, quote, a baby would have ruined my life, unquote. Women also worry about school. They worry about finances, relationships. They worry about you know, a job, how to raise another child, even. The, the lie that it would be easier to, ab- to abort than to raise a child is tempting to some. So to make abortion an easy choice, pro-abortion advocates must deny that a pre-born baby is a person. That's, that, you can't say that the baby is a person and then say, it's okay to kill it, right? But if personhood implies certain inalienable rights, how do they deny who gets to be a person, right? So this is a very important question to ask, as it has grave ramifications, to be honest, on the ones who are denied the right to life. Personhood infers certain rights. So if you're a person then you have God-given rights. The idea that your your merely existence warrants that you should be treated a certain way, right? That's what a right is. And thus, those who do not have personhood do not get to enjoy these rights. The the greatest um, atrocities in the world occurred because of groups' personhood status. And, and, And with it, their rights were denied by another group. For the secular individual, the, the common route is to create an arbitrary standard that denies personhood, uh, such as consciousness, self-awareness, heartbeat, the ability to uh, be self-sufficient, the ability to reason or empathize, etc. This, this is what they tried to make as a standard for, for life for um, you know, someone being a person. This path is likely where most pro-abortion advocates will find themselves because it has its own pr- problems, 
many of these stipulations fail to provide an assurance that the one who has the personhood will always maintain the personhood. And they typically fail to cover the fringe cases. For example, more one-year-old babies wouldn't be considered people because they're typically not at that point where they can look themselves in the mirror and thus they fail the self-awareness test, right? So you, you can't have, uh, you know, say, a six-month-old baby look himself in the mirror and go, hey, that's me. Well, if you base the personhood off of somebody who is self-aware, well, then a six-year-old baby or six-month-old baby is not really human, then is it, under that stipulation? So you can see how the holes fall uh, through in, in, in many of these cases. However, Christians know that God defines personhood. The, the Bible tells us that personhood comes from being made in the image of God. That's, that's right there in Genesis 1.26. And as, as such, any human is granted personhood from conception. Christians know that it is God who has personally crafted us into existence. For you, you formed in my inner inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was, was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. In, intrinsically woven in the depths of the earth. That comes from Psalms 139, verses 13 and 15. So, unlike the secular person, Christians do not make an arbitrary standard by which someone is or is not affirmed as a person. Instead, they must agree with the conclusion that God has decreed all humans are made in the image of God, and all who are made in the image of God have personhood and are deserving of life. Without a creator, there is no basis for personhood in the first place. If if there is no God, we have no reason to call ourselves better than any other animal, right? If we appeared by happenstance, we have no reason to think our existence is special in any way. The secular person cannot sustain an argument towards personhood that has true authority in any way that a religious person can. Because a secular argument of personhood can can never be sustained, a common tactic of pro-abortion activists is to, instead of make pro-life voters out out of villains, you know, twirling our mustaches at the mere thought of getting to oppress people and do evil. <laughs> Instead of, of wanting to, uh, you know, rationally and logically argue that the, the conversation is often reduced down to claims that pro-life supporters are mostly men who just want to oppress women and force them to have babies. <laughs> I've, I've been told that many times in, in talking with 
with uh, pro-abortion uh, activists. They, you know, they they come up with these these things that they try to attack you with because because their their arguments they they fall hollow, and so they have to attack the person that they're talking to. Now we often hear that the pro-life movement is you know fundamentally about misogyny. Uh, those those wicked pro-life voters, especially men, are apparently pro-life simply because they enjoy making women suffer. <laughs> this, of course, causes us to wonder about the 41% of women who consider themselves pro-life, but that's another issue, right? Uh, but we know that this isn't an honest claim any more than it is for pro-life advocates to say that pro-abortion voters hate babies, and they, they don't for the, you know, for the most part. The pro-life argument is simple. All humans have personhood from the moment of conception and thus have the right to life. Abortion violates another person's right to life, and therefore it is immoral. It's evil to support abortion. Any distortion of the pro-life argument away from this understanding is just willfully ignorant. Now, the, the redefinition of what constitutes a human life is the final thing that pro-abortion advocates try and, and have done, really, to, to try to gain a sense of moral superiority. Long gone are the arguments when it might be ethical to get an abortion or Bill Clinton's era promises that abortions are safe, legal, and rare, right? Remember that one? Now, pro-abortion advocates don't care about the ethical implications of abortions. They want them on demand. Right there, full, full stop. After all, isn't abortion a fundamental human right? That's, that's what they're trying to go after. That this, how they they have framed this issue. This is exactly how they frame this issue. Pro-abortion advocates claim that abortion is both a human right and specifically a woman's right, so that they can just look and 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 it's justified in passing whatever law they they would like and and villainizing their opponents. To them, they're fighting for human rights, so that. You know, they must be the good guys, right? Because they're the ones fighting for this human right for women. Now, obviously, this has implications for anyone who disagrees with their platform. Their opponents are not just opposing abortion, but they're unforgivingly against human rights themselves. Instead of making any factual arguments, they take an emotional one demonizing the opposition by claiming that they stand on the wrong side of history and against women. (laughs) Again, I've heard all of these things. It is no surprise that they call themselves progressives, as most people think positively about progress, right? I do. And it implies that those against them want to regress society. But regardless of all this talk about rights, we would be remiss if we didn't address the bigger issue regarding rights. Without a creator, how can anyone claim any rights at all? If we are simply cosmic accidents placed on earth by a secular God, you know, named chance, (laughs) 
how can anyone rightfully claim that their very existence has a human being has any sort of inalienable value? Both pro-life and pro-abortion advocates will appeal the human rights, uh, appeal to the human rights, which are inherent and inalienable. But without God, what is the source of this inherent, you know, dignity of, of and and worth from which all human beings are bestowed? This is not to argue that the non-religious person cannot agree with rights and and and. Uh, align themselves with moral truth. But to claim that our very existence imbues rights upon us is something that can only be uh, consolidated with, you know, belief in a higher power. Otherwise, arguing that you deserve anything because you are alive is simply a futile, um, you know, shout into an unforgiving void that your presence dictates value, right? And, and that sounds rather self-righteous to me. The Christian knows their value and human rights come from being made in the image of God. They have been given dom- dominion by God over all the animals and the plants of the world. They have an absolute moral law given to them by God through his word. And it tells them of what God loves and hates. In summary, whenever we speak about human rights, what we are saying is that we have worth simply by the nature of our existence. The implication is such that specifically being a human and especially a woman when it comes to the abortion issue, uh, as opposed to you know any other living creature, warrants value. The only way that we can consolidate human beings as um, exclusively deserving of these inalienable rights over all other living beings is by admitting that we were created in such a way that uniquely elevates us above all the other creatures. Unfortunately, for the secular person, this is the roadblock they face. But For the Christian, we have the answer. Humans and humans alone were uniquely created in the image of God. And that is something that cannot be stripped away. The abortion argument ties to the, to to make abortions a human rights issue, but they cannot have rights without God. All humans are made in his image. From conception, we, we see that in Genesis 1, 26. You can read it in, in Psalms 139, 13 through 15, to, to a natural death. Therefore, whoever aborts a preborn baby denies him or her their status as being made in the image of God, Genesis 9, 6. So in summary, it, it, it is not uh, access to abortion that is a human right. Because rights are intrinsically tied to God. It is instead the human right of the preborn to life, because he or she is woven by God and made in his image. We know that that the, the abortion issue comes down to when life begins. 
we know that you cannot tie the, that life beginning to anything other than conception. We know that when God put us together, he put us together in his mother's womb. We know that we are, we are human beings at that point, and we have God-given rights. And one of those rights is the right to life. And so to take away that, to take away that right from that human being, we're not talking about the mother here. We're not talking about that. We're talking about that baby. And we're talking about the, uh, the fact that that baby has a right to life because he's human. And anything that goes outside of that is just not biblical. So you may agree, you may disagree. I would definitely love to hear from you on this issue. This is one of those high-powered issues that, that you probably have a pretty strong opinion on one way or another. And, uh, and it's definitely something that we need to continue to talk about. We need to continue to seek truth over. And I would love to hear from you. You can go to our Facebook page and you can uh, obviously... Uh, talk uh, there, or you can go to Instagram, or you can go directly to us at uncommonsensepodcast.com. You can hear, um, obviously, archives of of the uh, older podcasts. Uh, You can always get the new ones there. Would love for you to uh, subscribe to the podcast and get notification whenever the new one comes out. We always do this on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing, having a great time doing it. And thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.